great news that I wanted to share with all of you as we start the new year. Um, financially, uh, we met budget and exceeded that. And so we're very grateful to God uh, for that. And so I uh, just want to say thank you to everyone here who did that. We're, we're looking forward to what God's going to do. Some amazing things in 2016 as people are uh, so generous. And so I just wanted to personally uh, thank all of you for the way uh, that you've uh, been so generous to us. Well, I was uh, reading this week, and uh, there are 323 million Americans uh, who call themselves citizens, U.S. citizens. And uh, out of those 323 million, 45% of them make a New Year's resolution. Uh, something they're going to do different to change. Now, it's pretty remarkable because the Super Bowl, uh, only 35% of uh, Americans actually watch the Super Bowl. But 45% make New Year's resolutions, or that's about 145 million people uh, that do that. Now, this is my question for you today. Percentage-wise, just thinking of percentage, how many people... Percentage-wise, of those 145 million, how many of them keep their New Year's resolution? So talk to the person beside you. Give them a percent, okay? Zero to 100%. How many keep that? Okay, the actual percentage of people who keep their resolution is 8%. 8%. So 12 million out of 145 million actually keep their resolution. So why don't people follow through? Why don't they do what they've been, that they said that they would do? What gets in the way? What stops them from doing it? Well, today, this is what I want us to look at. And my hope and my prayer is that before you leave from this place today, you got up, you came to church, a lot of people stayed at home to sleep, but you're here and you don't want to hear from me. And you don't want to hear from everyone else, but you want to hear from God. And my prayer is that you will have clarity in your spirit on what God wants from you and is calling you to do in 2016. Now, in order to kind of figure this out, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12. Romans is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And the uh, writer, Paul, uh, writes to a church in Rome. Uh, That's where he gets Romans from. And as he writes to them, uh, he writes uh, with a conversation and he wants to help them understand Uh, the importance of what a fresh start looks like. And this is what he says. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Paul says, offer everything. He says, offer every ounce of your being to God's ways and to God's kingdom. But then he goes on to say this. He simply says, 
do not conform to the patterns of this, what's the last word? World. Yeah. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Now, the question becomes, what does that word conform mean? What does that mean? Well, here's the definition. Conform simply is when you allow the outside to change the inside. You allow the outside to change the inside. When you allow other people's perspectives, when you allow other thoughts, when you allow other voices to actually begin to tell you what your identity is, who you are, what you're about, that's what happens. And Paul is telling this church in Rome, hey, if you want to live this kind of life, you've got to be the kind of people who do not allow the outside voices, the outside perspectives to inform who you are. So in 2015, did you allow outside pressures, outside voices to make you conform the ways of the world, to create patterns of unhealthy living that found themselves in your path, that were destructive to what God really intended you to be and who he desired you to be all along. Um, I'm going to put a picture up here. Anybody know what this is? What is that? You weren't sure at first. Kind of blended in, didn't it? I had a guy in the first celebration go, dinner. I was like, what? Who eats a chameleon? You know what I mean? That's why you're so much smarter than the first celebration people. Okay, so chameleons. This is the thing, folks. You and I act like chameleons a lot of times. We walk into certain environments. We walk into the office. We walk into uh, the grocery store. We walk into the family get-together. We walk in with some of our friends. And we want so badly to fit in that what we begin to do is we conform ourselves to all the other folks that are around us. And we adapt. We keep safe. We hide. We play. We earn. And we're trying to get our identity in everything else that is around us. And Paul would say, that's not worship. This isn't offering everything and trying to please God. This is trying to fit in and connect with everyone else to conform to the ways of the world. Now, for us to make a significant change, we have to be aware of our own patterns of thinking. And every single one of us in this gym today, we have patterns of thinking as we go through life. Some of them are healthy. Some of them are unhealthy. Some of you grew up in a family structure in which each night you sat around a table and you had dinner with your family and you encouraged each other. And it's great. Others of you never sat around a table. You're always getting pulled from this place to that place. You were going from mom to dad to grandma's to wherever. And all of a sudden, regardless of who you are, there is a story that's starting to be written inside of you. And you have a pattern inside of each one of you. And many of us, as we get older, what we start to do is we start to recreate those patterns in our families. We took the things that 
happened, and rather than making any change, it becomes so much easier to stay the chameleon and to just kind of continue to allow that environment to control our lives. And so you have a choice. You can either stay a chameleon or you can have a fresh start. You can create a new story or you can keep on with the old patterns from the past. And Paul is saying, no, 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 church. No, this is not what you do. If you are going to honor verse 1 that says, make your life a living sacrifice to God, you will make the changes necessary so that you look and you act more like God has intended you to be all along. Now, when Paul thinks about reality, he thinks of reality in two ways. Okay, he wasn't schizophrenic. Some of you are like, dude, this guy's messed up. No, no. He just had two ways that he said people had lived in reality. The first is the world. The world. Paul, one of Jesus' closest followers, who wrote over half of the New Testament, he talks about the world. He sees the good and the bad in the world. He looks at the world and he's like, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, there's wonderful things. People working together, doing stuff. It's wonderful. But he also sees the world as a very broken place, a home of brokenness, of pain and hurt and suffering. Then he sees a second reality. It's a reality that Jesus taught about when he talked about the kingdom of heaven. It's the right side there. So there's these two worlds that Paul says we get to choose. We either choose to conform to the patterns of this world or we live in the kingdom of heaven. Well, how does he explain this? Well, let's look at another passage in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on, what's the last two words? Earthly things. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. He's saying there are some people whose whole worldview is focused on seeing themselves as the center of the story. A part of a story that as they go through it, it leads to destruction. They keep making choices over and over and over again and expecting different results. What's that called? Insanity. You do the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you think different results. They are finding themselves moving from one broken relationship to the next broken relationship to the next broken relationship to the next broken relationship. They find themselves doing the same dumb thing after dumb thing after dumb thing. They find themselves saying codependent and codependent and codependent. And these patterns, these cycles, like happen around them. And that's the legacy that they're creating. And Paul says when you do that, you are destined for, what's the word he said? Destruction. There's no way you can offer everything to God because there are those areas in your life that you need rescuing from. And until you're honest with that, they will never have their life in check. So Paul says these people are destined for destruction. But he also says 
that these people, they find their God in their stomach. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? He says they find their God in their stomach. In the ancient Near East, when it talked about desire, when in those days, when they talked about desire, they would talk about their stomach. Now, we just finished the holidays, right? Like all of you are on good diets now. But before Christmas, tell the truth, your desire was in your stomach. And that's where their desire was. And the same desire to mate was connected in the middle. When they would think about it in the ancient Near East, was connected to the middle of who they were. That's the essence of what their desires were. Now, I want you to know this, folks. Desires are a gift from God. They just aren't to rule us or control us. And Paul often would say later on, he's like, animals get ruled by their desires. But that's not the way it should be with human beings. We should not be controlled and ruled by our desires. That's what an animal does. And then Paul goes on to say, their glory is in their shame. It's almost like they celebrate that choice. They don't make any changes. They don't address any problems. They don't address any tension. They don't address the pain. They don't address the hurt. They don't address anything. They almost kind of revel in the fact that they just get to keep doing what they've been doing. And Paul says with these people, their mindset is on the early things in the world, the left side of this equation, of this chart. This is where they live. But he goes on. He doesn't stop there. In verse 20, this is what he says. But us, he says us, those that are followers of Christ, our citizenship is in where? In heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, he had this understanding that his citizenship was not on earth, but his citizenship was in heaven. And he stood for the value that Jesus was in everything. Radical love. Extreme generosity. Outstanding hospitality. Radical grace. Amazing forgiveness. Everything that heaven stood for, what Paul said, I'm standing for. I'm standing for everything that heaven stands for. If you've ever traveled outside the U.S., you know that you have one of these things here, a little blue book, and it allows you to leave, and you can go to another country. But when you get to that other country, you go to customs, and they open up your passport, and they start to look where you've been and what you've done, and uh, sometimes they look like this guy right here. And then sometimes they keep you in countries for long periods of time. No, I'm joking. Don't write my numbers down. Some of you are like starting to write. That freaked me out a little bit. But there is this passport that you bring and they start to stamp it and they look at you and they kind of figure everything out. And then they always ask you this question. Are you bringing anything into our country? Kind of in a very gruff way. And you're like, no. And then they stamp it, and they're like, don't mess up while you're here, because you could stay a long time. And then you're like, I made it through, you know. Well, then you have to come back home. 
So you land in Indianapolis and you go up into customs and you're like so grateful, especially with what the world is going through right now. Like when people get back to the United States, they are so grateful and they get there, you know, and sometimes you'll see them, they'll kiss the ground. They're so grateful to live in a country with so much freedom. And you walk up there and, and they look. And one time we were coming back from Mexico and I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking pretty good for a 40 year old. And we walk in there and I give them this. The guy starts laughing at me, looks at my picture and starts laughing. I was like, I wanted to go off on him, but then, you know, you get arrested. So you didn't want to do that. But you're like serious, you know, and you do all of that and they seem pretty nice. And then you're like, yes, I am a citizen of what? I'm a citizen of the United States. And Paul says this. Because of the cross, because of the burial, because of the resurrection that happened three days later, because of God's spirit that he leaves with us, folks, you are not a citizen of the world. You are a citizen in heaven. I am not going to allow then the other voices... And the other perspectives and what everyone else is saying around me, I'm not going to let that define me and let them tell me what my identity is because I know who I am and whose I am. My citizenship is not in this world. My citizenship is in heaven. And in 2015, i got to ask you a question. Did you conform to the world? Did you decide for the world... To determine what your identity is, who you are, what kind of person you are, or did you live your citizenship in heaven? And Paul says that if you want to offer everything up to God, don't conform to the ways of this world. Now back to Romans 12. Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be, what's the word? Transformed by the what? Renewing of what? Your mind. So he's like this. You got a choice. You can conform or you can be transformed. Now the word transform means metamorphosis. Do you remember middle school science class when they gave us this? It was probably on an overhead for some of you, okay? Or for some of you in a book, you know what I mean? There wasn't even overhead. But there was this concept that you had this little egg and then this little egg eventually became a caterpillar and the caterpillar ate a whole bunch of stuff and then it got into a cocoon and then at the end it became a brand new identity. It became a butterfly. And so the question becomes, well, what does it mean to be transformed. And it's this, it's to have your inside change your outside. That's what it means to be transformed, to have your inside change your outside. To be transformed is to allow God's spirit to work within you, to change you into something entirely new, brand new, To allow you to spread your wings in 2016 and fly higher than you've ever flown in your life. To experience new things that God wants to do in your life. So the question is, 
in 2015? Did you conform more to the world or were you transformed by the power of Christ? Paul's saying something very, very brilliant here. He's asking, which home is yours? You get to choose your home. Which one will you live in? Where is your citizenship? Where do you frequently reside? What defines your reality? Does your reality, is it defined by the world or is it defined by the kingdom of heaven? Paul says that if you're going to be transformed to the kingdom of heaven, you have to be renewed. You have to renew your mind. I love that word renew. Because the word renew means to have a fresh start. That you get a fresh start. God longs for you to have a fresh start. He wants to create in you a brand new story. He's not finished with you. 2015 might have been bad. But he's got a new story for you for this year. But the temptation for many of us is to stay in the cocoon. The temptation for many of us is to stay with what is comfortable. You ever notice that before? We'll adapt, we'll stay in whatever it is that's comfortable. We like to hide. We like to stay in the past of what is fear. Why do we stay in the past, folks? And why do we keep doing the same crazy systems? Because it's comfortable. That, I understand that. I know that. I don't know what the unknown is. If I break through this cocoon, what would life look like? And God's like, ah, oh, I sure hope you'll do that. I hope you'll make that choice to be made brand new. But Paul says, don't stay in your old story. You will not ever win in life if you stay in your old story. Have a fresh start. Create a new story. God isn't done with you yet. And how do you do that? You do that by renewing your mind. I looked at some uh, medical research uh, this week. Every time I talk about medical research, my wife gets really nervous um, because uh, she's a physician, and I don't always know how to interpret everything, but I try to do the best I can. And uh, this was like research for dummies, so I was good. And I found this study. I looked at the brain and the mind and all the studies that they've been doing on it. And they had one particular study where they took a group of people who were far from God. God was not on the radar screen. And they're both blue-collar and white-collar workers. And they noticed that as they looked at the, this brain, they had two kind of groups One group that the brain just kind of became stagnant and one group that because of uh, different accidents, abnormalities, that they had some brain damage. So they had these two groups and they're looking at them and they introduced to them some ancient practices. Now, when we talk about ancient practices, what they basically did was they asked them to meditate and be still. They asked some of them to pray for 20 minutes a day just to pray to God for 20 minutes or whatever they could determine. And for some, they introduced scripture for them to read. And then month after month after month, they would look at the brain again to kind of see what was going on. 
And finally, after several months, they actually started to notice that where the brain was stagnant or where the brain was damaged, that it actually started to grow. There was new growth. There was new peace. There was life now in their mind. And I was thinking about it. Paul understood this over 2,000 years ago, that when you pull away from the rest of the world, when you don't conform to the world, and you actually spend some time connecting with God in prayer or in Scripture reading, when you don't conform to the world and you become transformed by the renewing of your mind, all of a sudden brain activity works in ways that it didn't before. Paul is saying, don't be conformed. Don't be transformed. Don't allow the outside to shape who you are. Allow the inside to shape the outside. So you wonder why only 8% of people keep their New Year's resolution? You know why? I think because the other 92%, like if we had percentages, it would be 92% of the people choose something of the world. And only 8% ever see themselves as a person in the kingdom of heaven. And why do they do that? Because they give in to the vocabulary of the world. And you know what the number one phrase of the vocabulary in the world is? I can't. I can't lose weight. I can't get my finances together, I can't go to church, I can't read the Bible, I can't pray, I can't get up early, I can't change. But folks, the word, I can't, that phrase is not a part of the right side, the kingdom of heaven. Because if you actually believe that you are a citizen in heaven, This is what you're saying yes to. If you believe that you are a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, this is what you're saying yes to. You are saying, I believe that God sent his most precious gift to planet earth in Jesus Christ, and he taught us how to live. But because he taught us, he just didn't stop there. He actually went much further than any other religious leader ever in the history of the world. He said, I love you so much, I'll go to a cross and take up on all the sins of the world on me so that you could be set free. And he said, but if I just did that, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you believe that not only did that happen, but that... Three days later, he resurrects, his spirit comes, and this is the cool part, folks. This is the power. Jesus said this, the same power that lived in him lives in you. I don't know how it happens, but the same power that took him from the grave and rose him again, it lives in you. Now, here's the thing. If that's true, and I'm betting everything in, like I got all my chips on, that that's what I'm believing in, that's what's true, I can't, can't be in your vocabulary. If you believe that story, then I can't, can I ever be in your vocabulary, because it's not in Jesus' vocabulary. Now, you might say, I don't want to do it. 
I don't want to get up early and exercise. I don't want to get up early and go to the gym. I don't want to stop drinking coffee because I like my Starbucks. You can say I don't want, but I, I don't want to do something. It's just truth-telling. I love truth-telling. People need to tell the truth. But I can't is an excuse. I can't is based on a pattern of something that we have conformed to and believed in to be true about ourselves. And that takes away from our citizenship. So just real quickly, rapid-fire style, I just want to share with you a few things of how in 2016... You might put something together so that you have a fresh start in an area of your life and you actually have resolve all the way through the entire year. That you become a part of the 8%. So here it is. First thing, develop a stretch goal. You've got to develop a goal that is going to stretch yourself. Any of you remember Stretch Armstrong back in the day? If you don't, look at, you're Googling it already, so it really doesn't matter. But anyways, Stretch Armstrong was this guy that, man, everybody loved. Like, everybody wanted Stretch Armstrong. You could stretch him out. You could stretch him everything. And after you stretched him out, what happened? He came back. He always came back to exactly the same doll that he was when you got him from the store. And pretty soon I was like, I don't like Stretch Armstrong. He doesn't stay outstretched. This is my life. I want to stretch. I want to grow. I want to be different than what I was last year. I mean, when Paul says he's striving for a goal, there's some effort that he's talking about. Now, The way that you get to heaven is not by your own effort. You'll never be able to do that. It is a free gift given by Christ when you choose to have a relationship with him. But while we're here on earth, what Paul is saying is, why don't you stretch yourselves to be who I intended you to be from the very, very beginning. Before you were ever born, I had things in your life that I wanted you to fulfill, desire and dreams for you to be. So you need a stretch goal. Second thing is, you need to keep it simple. You keep it simple. So you develop a stretch goal, and next thing, you keep it simple. If it's a spiritual goal, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, just pick one word. Don't pick like, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this entire year. I'm going to start in Genesis all the way to Revelation. No, you're not. So you got to make it simple. That's why I said pick one word. And so many people, they picked a word and they sent it to me. And I prayed for every single person that sent me their word for the year. And they put a scripture verse to it. And I was amazed. Words like understanding and faith and, uh, you know, fear, like overcoming fear and joy and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, what could God do in our church if everyone lived out their one word this year? I told you mine was seek, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these other things would be added unto you. And you might remember when I walk into my house, I have a step. 
And uh, I, I've been trying to kneel at the step and just say, God, help me to be the man, the husband, and the father you want me to be. Well, Christmas came, and, like, I forgot the step. So yesterday, I printed out a piece of paper that said, kneel and pray. And then I asked my wife, who's very, very intelligent. I wanted to make sure I spelled Neil correctly. I looked at it and I said, honey, is this the way you spell Neil? She goes, I don't know. (laughs) So now I have it taped up on my door so that when I get to there, I don't know if I can kneel or kneel or canile. I don't know what it is. But when I get there, I know I need to stop and do that. It's a goal. Instead of having God jump into my plan, because that's what most human beings do. Don't you realize it? You start going about, you start doing something. Hey, God, come on in. We're going to let you on the bus. No, no, no. Saying, God, would you be the bus driver and you tell me where we're going? That's what I want to do. So you develop a stretch goal. You keep it simple. And finally, be specific. Be specific. People constantly, the number one uh, New Year's resolution is to lose weight. And people will go, I'm going to lose weight this year. Okay, great. How much? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to lose weight. Well, how are you going to know you ever get there? we got to make a goal. So someone would have to say, well, I'm going to lose 40 pounds this year. No, 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 no. we got to break goals down. If you say, I'm going to lose 40 pounds this year, by the time December 31st comes, you're going to be like, well, i got 38 left to go one day, you know, <laughs> 38 and I'm on it. No. What you do is you break that goal up. So you understand it. I never have long-term goals like that because it's so difficult for you to ever achieve them. You have to take the long-term goal, but then break it up. And so you could say, by the end of March, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Now, what would that look like? All you got to do is three pounds a month living up there. You can do that. You can. For me personally, the goal that I've said yes to over the last few years deals with running. And last year, I had a goal that I wanted to run the fastest 5K that I'd ever ran since college. And I did it. I I, uh, finished 31st out of about 3,500 participants at the 5K race down at the Indy Mini. And I crossed that line. I was so pumped. I was so excited. And uh, it was just, it was great. Well, this year, my goal is to finish in the top 20. Now, I have tons of reasons why not to do that. First of all, I'm 44. Every person in front of me was older than 44. I mean, or most of them were. There was like me and one other guy, I think. That was it. So they're all younger than me, and uh, I'm very fearful I'm going to break something. Because some of you that know me, I've broken many things, sprained things, all kinds of stuff. But I want to stretch myself, so I've decided I'm going to make the top 20. Now, to do that, I have 120 days before the race, and I have to drop a minute and a half. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, a minute and a half? Dude, you talk a minute and a half, and it drives me crazy. No, 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 no. Yeah, I might drive you crazy, but a minute and a half in running with only three miles, that's like an eternity to try to be able to do that. But I'm training, and every time that I run, I'm out there, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking. I'm thinking of my word, seek. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God's working. And sometimes I'm praying like, you know, God, if I break anything, you know, that I'm going to need later on in life, please don't let that happen, you know, anything like that. Now, that's my goal. What about you? Like, what are you going to do this year in your life? Where in your life do you need a fresh start for 2016? 
Maybe you need some help. Maybe, for some of you, if you had to be very honest and you ask God, God would say, man, your family's where you need to put some attention. And some of you, you can't remember the last time you had a date night with your spouse. And you could just make the goal tonight. Hey, once a month, we're going to have a date. Just you and me. For others of you, maybe it deals with your kids. You know that you are not spending much intentional time with them. That's one of the things that I've realized. And so I'm working really hard that on Saturdays I spend that time with my girls. For others of you, it might be a relationship in your family that needs to get healed up. You just need to come clean and say whatever you need to say to make it right. Others of you, maybe, it has to do with your finances. You just go from one year to one year, and you're always waiting for the next tax return to just kind of make it even, and you get further and further in debt. And you're wondering why. Because you need to have a transformation of your mind to create an emergency fund, to take the financial peace class that's coming up. Whatever that is, you will need to do. Maybe, for others of you, God wants you to stretch your faith. That you need to get up 15 minutes early to spend some time in the Bible. They say, I can do that. I can get up 15 more minutes. And early, we have a plan over there for you to do. Before you go to bed at night, that you take five minutes and you choose to actually pray. To say, you know what, God, I'm going to thank you for this day. I'm just going to take five minutes. That's what I'm going to do to grow. Whatever God is calling you to do to make a fresh start, I pray that he would give you clarity on that today and you have a plan now how to do that. Now, as a church, I believe that God is calling us and the staff has as well and the elders have come together that we really want to see the jar take a risk in this year. And it's something that we're all going to have to be on board about. And this is the risk. Our risk is that by the end of the year, we will be a church of 400 people. Kids, adults, everybody, 400 people. Now, some of you are sitting there going, oh, here it is, all about numbers, numbers. You know why we count people in this place, folks? Because people count. People count more than anything else. That's why we count. And for us to do that, this is what I'm excited about. There would be 60 people who are not connected to Christ or the church, that would be sitting in seats and their lives would be changed and their kids would be taught the stories of Christ and they would be growing in their faith if all of us chose to be a part of this plan. So you've got to invest in people. Do you realize that the only thing we're guaranteed in heaven, folks, is people? People matter to God more than anything else. More than anything else, people matter to God. And if people matter to God, then they have to matter to us. So what I'd like you to do is to pull out this little card that was in your program when you walked in. And if you didn't receive one, just raise your hand. Uh, Some of our greeters have some extras there. Just raise your hand. They'll get it to you. Don't feel like, ah, geez, I forgot. Um, They'll get it for you. So go ahead and they'll do that. And basically, this is what we're asking you to do, is to think of three people who you know are disconnected from Christ or the church, and that you would pray daily for them. Now, what does that prayer look like? 
It looks like this. God, be with Fred. Help him to open his eyes to you. Give me an opportunity to do that. How long did that just take? 30 seconds? That's it. So you think of three people, 30 seconds each, minute and a half. That's it. Second thing, connect weekly. Be intentional about reaching out to this circle of three. Whoever it is, friend, family member, uh, co-worker, neighbor, whatever, but you're intentional. One intention is simply going, hey, I recognize it. Can everybody say hi? One, two, three. Hi. You know what most people do in their neighborhoods? The neighbors are there. They drive in. They go into their garage. They put the door down, and that's it. Get to know your neighbors. Just say hi. It'd be amazing what that would do. You don't have to take them to Texas Roadhouse to get them a steak dinner. Just say hi. Now, if they mow your grass, you know, maybe take them to McDonald's or something like that. But, you know, not Roadhouse quite yet. But interact. Connect with them. Send a text to a coworker. Man, thank you so much for helping today. I really, You know how much that would mean to some of the people that you work with if you actually recognize what they did and what kind of impact you might have in their life for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven if you did that? Next thing. Invite regularly. There are 52 weeks a year, 52 Sundays. I don't care which one you pick. You can pick whatever one you want. But there are some big ones like Easter. There are different things. And this is what happens. People invite once and then all of a sudden they're like, they said no, forget it, I'm done. Folks, it takes seven times before people ever come to church. That's statistically what the Barna study tells us. Seven times. My neighbor right now that I've invited... I'm on number 19. 19 knows. He's going to be here one day. Why? Because God wants to do something in his life. Don't be discouraged by that. Folks, all of you have someone to invest in. In fact, I I bet you have more than one. I bet you have three. That their entire lives could be changed for eternity if you did. When we first started the JAR in the very early years, we've always been about inviting, encouraging, building relationships with people who are far from God. And I'd like you to take a look at a clip of three people in the very early years that I just had a small investment, but a huge difference in their lives. Take a look. Well, hey, Kenny, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how we first got to know each other. I was playing basketball over at Wilson, and you came in one night towards the end of the season playing, and it got real, real intense between you and one of the other guys. Went home that night, told my wife about it. She said, well, who was it? I said, well, this guy named Chris. What did he look like? I described it. She goes, that's Chris Bunch. He's going to be a pastor. Right? <laughs> Is it really? That was kind of cool. Yeah. So we we met each other, and then we started uh, hanging out at Southside Games mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and started building a friendship. And uh, then I remember just continuing to spend some time praying that God would kind of soften your heart. And then a moment kind of came in your life in which that took place. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it's when my mom got sick was diagnosed with cancer um, I talked to her asked her if she wanted you to come out and pray with her because you know you were a pastor you were our pastor at the time 
and she uh, was kind of hesitant at first. You know, she was she was good with God, but she finally, you know, I kept asking her. You know, kind of like you kept praying for me, and it was it was good. She finally said yes. So he came out that night, prayed with us, and we got out in the driveway and we're talking. I told you, you know, in the drive, I said, you know, if I'm ever going to see her again in heaven, I got to change what I'm doing. I can't live the way I've been living. You kind of, you prayed with me there in the drive and led me towards accepting Christ. And that was probably the biggest thing, you know, in my life. And, you know, I don't tell too many people this, that I love them. I'll tell you this, brother, I love you. Well, we got connected really through your wife, Jen. Um, I was a resident, and she had been doing mission trips to Mexico, and I was invited on a mission trip. And so I uh, went on this mission trip, and I I really saw the need that is out there. Um, And in the midst of that, your wife started to connect me to God um, and invited me to the jar. And it was about 10 people, Mm -hmm. 15 people meeting upstairs at the Y. I still wasn't completely connected. And then you sat down and had breakfast with me one day, gave me a Bible, um, and wrote a personal thing on it. We started connecting more with routine breakfast, read the Bible. Um, We started meeting with a couple other guys. and learning more in depth about the Bible, we started praying together um, with groups of men. Um, and so that helped bring me closer to God through reading, through prayer, and through accountability and sending down with you and other men in the church. You were in my apartment complex uh, with other members of the jar and knocked on my door and told me about a kids' carnival you were doing yeah. just up the street. So I decided to check it out. And we seemed halfway normal. Is that right? Absolutely. <laughs> that, that was the first thing that really, it was like, oh, these they got personality, you know, they're happy about God, you know. And I was like, oh, I want to feel like that, you know. So, yeah, definitely wanted to check it out. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And then kind of what was your next step then to actually say, hey, we'll give the church a try uh, at that point? Mm-hmm. Well, I went to the event and had an, a really amazing time and got instantly close with a couple of the women that were there. And my kids were all playing and things. And um, I was in a real bad spot in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in a toxic relationship. And um, there was drugs involved, you know, mm-hmm. some addiction issues, uh, money issues, um, and I just needed a way out. I needed something positive and loving in my life. And um, started meeting at, in the homes with everyone at the jar. And it became, I met God. And, you know, it was like basically the start of a new life for me. So I just couldn't imagine where I would be if you hadn't knocked on my door that day. Well, folks, this is the truth. Every single one of you have a Kenny and a Greg and a Rachel in your life. You may not even have thought about some people in your life who you connect with regularly. But could you ever imagine if I would have never knocked on that door? And sometimes 
we convince ourselves that I'm not qualified enough. I'm not the pastor. This is the thing, folks. There are three people in your life, I can almost guarantee you right now, that Billy Graham and Joel Olstein and Rick Warren are not going to bring to Christ. <laughs> if they get closer to God, folks, it's on your watch. It's on your watch. And he's counting on you. Just like he's counting on me. And so what I'd like to do is to give you a couple of moments to to think about who are these three people that I could pray for, that I could connect, you know, wave, hi, go out to lunch every once in a while, and then invite to, to something, a Pacers game. How hard is that to go to a guy that you know loves sports and say, hey, you want to go to a Pacers game with me? It's not that hard. What if they say no? Okay. There's a lot of Pacer games, a lot of Ball State games, a lot of games, all kinds of stuff you could do. And so I want to give you a moment right now with your card, with your name in the middle. Who are the people on the outside then that God is calling you to write down? And if you come up with one name, great. If you come up with two names, great. If you're like, I don't, I can't come up with any right now. I just want to get out of here. Then pray about it this week. But don't let the week go by without thinking about who is it that God is asking me to invest something in? Because it could change their life. They could move from being conformed to this world to being a citizen in heaven. And when you get to heaven, folks, there's no greater reward than when God says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have reached out to people who didn't know me, and now they're with me. So take a couple of minutes and just ask God. In fact, I'm going to pray right now and then just give you a moment. Let's pray. God, I ask right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and you would speak to the hearts of people who are here right now. And I don't care what the risk is that you're asking them to do. Maybe a neighbor that they don't even know except for their first name. That you would give names to folks right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Take a couple minutes right now to ask God. Then write them down.
if you would, let's uh, stand uh, for closing prayer. And if you're like, man, I didn't get anything. As much as you spent time to think of one word that would help you guide your life over the next year. I really want to encourage you to take some time this week and just pull aside and ask God, who are the people that you want me to invest in? You know, I did have kind of a weird thought, though, today was that some of you might be here for the very first time. And someone invited you because it's the first of the year. And you're like, now I know what the jar is about. Yep, you do. We are all about taking people who are hurt or broken, which is all of us, and to bring them to the one who knows you best and loves you most so that you don't have to go through the rest of your life being conformed to this world, but you can be a citizen in heaven. And the message of Jesus is so important, folks. It would be like me having a cure for cancer and never giving it to you. It's so important to see lives changed. And Kenny and Greg and Rachel are just three. And God has three for you. So this is what I'd like you to do. Uh, We're going to have first steps with Chris right after this. If you're new, you uh, haven't had a chance to meet me, I'd love to meet you, connect with you. Just takes 15, 20 minutes. Go down this hallway and to your left. Uh, I'll be right there. Uh, Would love to meet you and talk a little bit about the vision of the jar. And uh, then also, uh, what I'd like you to do, if you're comfortable with it, you don't have to say anything or do anything, but if you just hold your hands out like this to receive a blessing, I'd like to pray for you, okay? So if you just put your hands out like that, um, I'm going to pray. So let's pray. God, I ask right now that you would fill the hands of each person that has their hands open right now to you. That you would fill them with your love. You'd fill them with blessings that come from heaven. Help each person here, God, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the power of your spirit. And may this year be the year that their mind is renewed and that they have a fresh start and that they become all, God, that you intended them to be. For each person who has their hand out and each person in this gym, may you know that you don't have to stay stuck in the past, but that you can soar into the future with God. And as you do, may you invest in the lives of three people close to you so that their lives would be changed for eternity and God's name would be made great. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. Know that you're